0: morning church. It's great to see you on the second Sunday of the Advent season. Uh, visitors welcome you. Glad to have you. Would love to get to, to know you and meet you. So after the service, if you have time, um, myself and other pastors and elders will be out in the, in the commons area. And so just would welcome you introducing yourself and just letting us know how uh, God brought you to Solid Rock. So welcome. Glad you're glad you're part of our services today. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Um, uh, this wednesday is wednesday worship um so we try to remind you of that because it only happens once a month and so this coming wednesday night 6 30 in here while our students are in the student space and kids are over in the kids space um, adults will be in here um, and this is a great time to get together for a time of worship together to hear biblical teaching uh this year our and those who are bringing the word are our elder mentees so if you've come already this fall you've got to hear from a few of these guys and we've got another Somebody else coming this Wednesday who you haven't heard from. Matter of fact, I think this is his first sermon to preach ever. So I'm super excited about that. hope you'll come join us. Um, But what we're going to do afterwards, so we normally end early to create space just for fellowship and spending time with one another. Um, This particular uh, time when we dismiss for that, we're actually not going to leave this room, but we're going to invite Jeremy Williams, our student pastor, and the students to come over and join us. And uh, we're going to have a time of praying um, over Jeremy, uh, and his family, his wife Lauren and Emma. Um, as you already know, more than likely, that they, Jeremy, has taken a position in another town. And, uh, and so he will be, uh, starting 2023, serving at another church and another group of students. We're excited for him. Uh, we're sad because he's been amazing. Uh, even right now, he's with our students serving. Uh, and so uh, we want to send him off. And so we're going to do that this Wednesday. So I hope you'll come for all those reasons, to be a part of Wednesday worship, but to hang around, um, just to be part of the church, praying over the Williams family, uh, getting ready to send them off um, to the next place the Lord has for them. That's all this Wednesday, okay? Um, Also, just so you know, we have um, some job openings here. Um, I told you guys last Sunday night we would let you know. So on our website, um, if you go there, you can find um, the description of what's opening uh, student pastor position is opening up, as I just mentioned. Um, executive pastor um, is a new role that we've opened up. Uh, mission coordinator and then a worship coordinator. And so if that's you or somebody you know, um, you can send them or you can go to the website to get the description there. What we really want is we want to look first at our church family and see if God is stirring or working in anybody here first before we start looking at anybody outside the church family. So that's why we're letting you know about it first, okay? All right, so we are uh, going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. We're also going to be looking at Revelation 19. So if you want to go ahead and turn to both of those places in, in your Bible, you can mark them. We'll start at 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're doing something different this Advent season. Um, I, think, um, I think every Advent should be a little bit different from what the world does in terms of celebrating Christmas. Um, we are looking actually at the second Advent. Uh, and looking at the connection between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And, um, and, And here's why. You don't have to scroll very far in the news headlines to begin to pick up on the theme that something is broken in the world. Right? Matter of fact, apart from the redemptive work of Christ in the world, nothing is as it should be. And the news headlines are simply just describing what is, and that the world we live in is broken, it's fallen, the image of God is distorted, and so if we're not careful as a church, the Christmas season will be nothing more than a therapeutic distraction from the pain and the suffering of the world. All the sleigh bells ringing, and children singing, and stockings hung with care. We'll simply just be permission to check out for a few weeks, to be distracted by beautiful lights and beautiful decorations, to maybe even fool ourselves that all is well, while in the world everything is still broken. It's no mistake, it's no accident that depression, at the end of every year, depression begins to climb. And right around Christmas and the week following uh, Christmas celebrations, once everything is over, depression skyrockets. One of the reasons for that. One, I think just visiting family can be depressing. But more than that, I think that Christmas has become some sort of a, a therapeutic distraction, a way to check out. And so we distract ourselves and maybe even convince ourselves that everything is okay. It's a silent night and all is at at peace. And then what happens once the presents are open and the mess is cleaned up and everybody goes back home, we're left with this reality of what is. And it hits us. I mean, how many of us on December the 26th will already be sad that Christmas is over? Sad that the world as we left it is still the same way. And so there's some intention behind our series this year as we look to the second advent of christ the second coming of christ we find hope we find redemption we find healing we find a reason to not check out or disengage from the world but we can be hopeful in our world the psalmist in Psalm one twenty one, uh, Psalm one twenty one, verse one asks a question. It's somewhat of a rhetorical question. The psalmist says, "This I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? From where does my help come from?" And essentially, it's this way: I see the world is broken. I look up to the hills, and I'm asking the question, "Who's coming? Who's going to rescue me? Who's who's coming for me? Who's coming for us?" You know, at the first advent, as Ken was talking and praying, we're reminded that Jesus emptied himself, stepped down from a throne. He emptied himself. He he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, how will his second coming be different? How does his second coming give us hope? What will Jesus be like when he comes again? You know, last week we looked at Jesus as a judge. He said, When I come, I will sit on my throne as a judge. And while there are reasons to be fearful of that moment, because we all fall short, none of us measures up, he's not only our judge, he's also our advocate. He's the one who advocates for us, he's the one who does what is required to get into heaven. This week we're going to look at Jesus as a warrior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 we'll start in verse 20. We read these words, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead so this was written after the resurrection of christ it was written after christ had ascended back to his rightful place on the throne this letter was written to the the corinthian church um, after the church had launched and began to see the gospel go forward and lives being saved and people being redeemed and And here at the end of this letter, Paul finds that it's really important to anchor our future hope in what has already happened. And so he reminds the Corinthian believers of the resurrection in Christ. He says, but in fact, not in speculation, not in hopeful wishing, but in fact, Christ has risen from the dead. And then he says something interesting. He says that he is the first fruits of of those who have fallen asleep and this is kind of poetic wording to say that what happens with Christ will happen for others that what happened with Christ is the first among many he is the first to raise from the dead that those who have fallen asleep might also experience a resurrection And then he says something interesting. I think it's helpful. He says, for as by a man came death. It's a very simple phrase. What is he talking about? As by a man came death. Well, this is a reference to Genesis chapter 3. It's a reference to Adam. So what happens with Adam, he's created in the likeness of God, and Eve is created in the likeness of God, and God puts Adam in the garden, and calls him to be right-sized, to know that he is an image-bearer and that God is God. And the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Eve to be bigger than they are. Matter of fact, the lie is this. Hey, God just doesn't want you to be like him. And before this happens, God had told Adam, hey, Adam, if you disobey me, if you eat from this tree, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to experience death. And this was the beginning of the opening of suffering and torment and hardship and pain. And literally, this is where all hell breaks loose. And so when we look at the world around us and we say, it doesn't seem like anything is as it should be. If you look hard enough, even the best of humanity seems to be skewed and broken. It's because of that moment. So what Paul is saying is like in that moment, through that one man, all hell broke loose and everything was distorted and broken. So in in the same way that by one man or a man came death, by a man, one man comes what? The resurrection of the dead. As we talk about the birth of Christ, And we take a a step back and look at the big picture. What's the why behind it all? We see that Jesus was born on purpose. And he was born with a purpose. That the baby in a manger wasn't God just coming to check in on creation to see how we were doing. That he came with a purpose. You may have heard it said this way, that the baby born in a manger was actually born to die. Like he came to earth with that target in his crosshairs that's not something that happened to come up later he knew that was his mission i would even zero in a little bit closer in on the crosshairs of the purpose of the birth of jesus at the first advent and that he was born to resurrect from the dead it wasn't enough just for him to die there have been many noble men and women who have died for the sake of others matter of fact death is one of the only guarantees that we have we need something beyond death we need something bigger than death we need someone who can't be conquered by death as we look at this broken fallen world around us and we look up to the mountains we say who's going to come rescue us we don't need somebody else like us I can't rescue you and you can't rescue me. We look to the mountain and we ask, where does our help come from? Who will save us? And we look to the baby born in a manger who was not only born to die, he was born to resurrect from the dead. We needed a Savior who could conquer death. And so here, Paul is reminding us That even though death came through one man, the resurrection has come through one man, Jesus. And verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. For as in Adam, we all experience death, suffering, torment, pain, hardship, brokenness, fallenness. So in Christ, we all shall be made alive. But each in his order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming. Okay, that's the reference to the second advent. That's the series we're in. What happens at his second coming? I need to know that. How does that give me hope today? At his second coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, what happens next is we're going to get a beautiful foreshadowing of the future victory of Christ. And what we're going to see is that any hope or promise or guarantee that Jesus is going to show up again and bring with him some sort of victory is rooted in, it's evidenced in, the victory that he has already displayed and had. So the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is his victory. Do you think of it that way? When Jesus dies, he's going to battle for us. He's stepping into war on behalf of himself and on behalf of you against the enemies of God In his resurrection. This miraculous yet overlooked miracle of the Son of God resurrecting from the dead is a victory that no other person or being has ever displayed. And so there's our past tense moment that anchors us to want him to show back up. If he hadn't been able to conquer death, why would we want him to come back? Think about that. Where's the hope in his return if he can't actually do something about what is broken in the world? And so then Paul begins to talk about, in verse 24, what we can expect at his return. Paul says this, that after the resurrection of the dead, you and me experiencing the same resurrection Christ experienced, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, so Christ is going to, Right? At our resurrection, when we experience resurrection, like he has resurrected, he will hand over this beautiful kingdom to his father. But he will do this after something. After what? Destroying every rule and every authority and power. Now, I think it's appropriate because we're going to see this in a second to just insert in there every opposing rule every opposing authority and power, everything that has attempted to stand against the kingdom of God, every rule, every authority, every power that has stiff-armed God or come, come after God and his people. So after Christ destroys his enemies, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet now think about that imagery there it was common wording in this day and time that was an imagery of a conquering king to stand over his enemy with his foot on his chest as a visible expression of conquer but what we see at the first advent the first coming of christ is that christ puts himself under the feet of men right like every step of the way He's allowing men to trample on him, willingly. But when he returns, what will be different is that he will put his enemies under his feet. This is what Paul is saying. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And then look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? I don't know that we fully feel the weight of how good that news is unless we're willing to feel the weight and disparity of the fallenness of the world. Everywhere we look, there are signs of death. Every suffering, every injustice, every broken heart, every broken home, all the harm done, these are all expressions of death. And so we don't just need Jesus to show up and mend our broken hearts because they'll get broken again. What we need is Christ to show back up and put all of his enemies under his feet and to kill death itself. That's so what Paul says. is his, This resurrection that just experienced Gives us hope. We want him to come back because when he comes back, we will resurrect with him. And after he has destroyed all of his enemies, the last of which, which is death, and he puts death under his feet, he will deliver over the kingdom to his father. Like that's something to get excited about. That's something to be hopeful in. Verse 27, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And what I want to do is I want to go to Revelation 19 and catch a glimpse of what Jesus is going to look like and be like when he returns. And it's going to be different from his first advent. He's not coming back as a vulnerable baby born into poverty and infamy. Look at how he is described at his return. We'll pick this up in verse 11. Revelation 19:11 Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems he has a name written that no one knows but himself He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Verse 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Anybody have that on a Christmas ornament? Anybody send that out on the Christmas card with the family picture? This is how he will return. He's not coming back in the same form that he came the first time. Vulnerable baby, born to first-time parents who didn't know what they were doing. trying to support a family on carpenter's wages. He's returning like a warrior on a white horse with an army behind him, ready to make war. We go back to 1 Corinthians 15 for just a moment and then we're going to land and end in this Revelation 19 imagery. So as Paul continues talking about the resurrection and this, this coming victory where Christ will come and put his enemies under his feet, verse 54 says this, that when the perishable, that's you and me, did you know you were perishable? Good thing is you've got a really long shelf life, most of us, but we have a shelf life. We're perishable. These bodies aren't going to last forever. We need something better if that's going to happen. So when the perishable puts on imperishable, it's a description of what happens when we, by faith, come to Christ and we, we, we receive his righteousness as a gift, the eternal life with him. When we put that on, and the mortal, that's us, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus has already displayed his power over death. It's the power of the resurrection, the first fruits. And now in the in-between, between his first coming and second coming, now we are awaiting his return. Where once and for all and finally, death will be defeated. And so Paul writes this, he says, It shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what you need from God today? You need Jesus to show up like a warrior for you and go to battle. what you need you don't just need more money in the bank and to get over this particular current illness or diagnosis you don't just need your family put back together your marriage restored you need all those things but what we need more than anything is for the son of god to return like a warrior and to take on his enemies once and finally for all to get this imagery here i just i read this revelation 19 description of jesus returning on a horse and it's just it brings up the braveheart imagery you know you got this whole army geared up and ready for battle but nobody has the courage to go forward and face the enemy until william wallace rides up face painted and right here we go we may die right But if we don't go into battle, we're going to regret this one day. For freedom! And they go into battle. Here's the difference. Jesus is not showing up like William Wallace. Trying and hoping that he can muster up enough courage with his army to finally. Like Jesus has already defeated Satan. Satan already knows. He already knows. The victory of Christ. Christ. So Jesus is not showing up hoping for victory. He's showing up to bring victory. He's showing up to put his enemies under his feet, to put your enemies under his feet, to put my enemies under his feet. And so the end of this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Therefore, my brothers, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you ever feel like what you're doing isn't enough and it's kind of in vain? Maybe you feel that way as like a parent, a friend, just as a Christian in the world. Why keep going? Things seem to be getting worse. Paul says when we anchor our hearts in the resurrection of Christ... Like it renders our hearts immovable and steadfast and and our work is not in vain. We can keep moving. We can keep walking by faith. We can continue standing strong because we know Jesus is returning on a horse. As a warrior ready for battle. And so we'll end with this Revelation 19 imagery. Verse 19 in Revelation 19 says this And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. We don't even get a description of a battle, they don't even exchange blows. Immediately we read, and the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. Now there's a lot packed into that from other imagery and revelation. We're not gonna unpack that this morning. Just think of this. These are the enemies of God. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were, were gorged with their flesh, which is horrific imagery. I get that. Like, I almost didn't put that Bible verse in, because this is the Christmas season. Seriously. I phoned a friend. It's like Here's the sermon, and I, I'm at the end, and there's like this last like few words about birds gorging on flesh. Can I take that out? Is that blasphemy? but I'm glad I left it in. I'm glad that it feels a little kind of jarring in a Christmas series to think about this kind of battle taking place. And here's why. This passage jars us and hits us hard because many of us have grown numb to the schemes of God's enemies and what those schemes have cost us that's why it's jarring we have no idea the loss that we have incurred and endured and we won't until jesus shows up on a white horse ready to make war because to be honest we all tend to run a little bit disconnected therapeutically disconnected from the hardships and the pains of this world that's ah, going to be okay. Is it? This is the same Jesus who was born in a manger over 2,000 years ago, who came to suffer and to die and to resurrect from the dead to secure the victory over God's enemies and to give us a hope that we too will one day resurrect from the dead and live eternally in his victory. This is the same Jesus who was born as a servant who has been patient with the fallen world and all of its violence and suffering and harm done to the children of God. Listen to me, church. God is not unaffected by your suffering. He is not therapeutically disconnected from your hardships. He does not compartmentalize so that he doesn't have to feel the anguish of what we're going through he sees the cost of your suffering and he feels the loss even more than you do how do you know because he's coming back on a white horse as a victorious warrior to make war like seriously like that's how we know nobody showed up to church today on a white horse ready to make war In some ways, we're a little bit numb to the fallenness. Like, that's how we know. And What we see in Revelation 19, listen to this, church. I know it's it's jarring, but it's the only right response of a good father who loves his children and who is ready to bring a final end to the suffering of his beloved. Like, that's the only appropriate response. Think about that. The only appropriate response of a good father is to make war against the enemies of his children. And that's how he's coming back. He fights for his children and he will bring his enemies to an end. When it will be then and only then when we fully see and fully understand just how much God loves us. I want you to hear this. The human response is to injustice in the world is does God actually love us? Surely you've wondered some version of that question. Does God see me? Is this just my lot in life? Does he actually love me the way the Bible says? And it will be in this moment at his return that you will know without a shadow of a doubt he loves you. And you'll know just how much he loves you. So I want to end with some questions for us to think about when you think about this return of Christ this imagery you see what stirs inside of you when you think about Jesus returning on a white horse leading the army of God to make war against your enemies what stirs inside of you to know God sees and he loves you that much What are some of the wrongs and the injustices in the world that you see going on like right now that you can't wait for him to bring to an end? What are some of the injustices and sufferings that you've encountered in life that you can't wait for him to redeem and make right? And then this final question, how does this description of Jesus's future advent give you hope to face the struggles in the world today? What if we didn't have to therapeutically check out every year just to let our hearts catch their breath? What if we walk through this Christmas season as it is, but we did so with hope? What if we what if we didn't pretend like all was right and it was a silent night but that Jesus was born into a very hard, cold, broken world, the same world you were broken or born into? What if instead of disconnecting from that, we stayed connected to the reality of how hard things are so that our hearts could stir with expectation for his return to make all things right? I want to pray for us now and just pray that God would speak to each of us individually. And Father, we thank you for this, uh, this time in your word. What a powerful description. Thank you for the way that 1 Corinthians 15, just, Father, anchors our heart both in what you have already done and, and in what is to come. And so, Father, thank you for just this vivid imagery of just how important we are to you that you're willing to dress your son for battle and put him on a white horse and send him to rescue us. Oh, Father, how we long to be part of this kingdom that Jesus will hand to you. Father, our hope today is not in what we can do for ourselves or what government can do for us or what, our friends can do for us, our hope for today is in you and you alone. Lord Jesus, we long for your return. Please come soon. We pray this in your name. Amen.